Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hey, I'm Andrew Walter. I'm the, uh, I've worked as the student pastor here at Rockbrook Church for over 20 years. I will have uh, students in student ministry from students I had in student ministry. The, uh, my wife and I, we have seven children. We have two teenagers uh, right now at home. And my wife and I were doing some math and realized that we will have a teenager in our home for 20 years. So Rylan asked me to do one of the messages uh, on rethinking your life. Another youth pastor that I know, someone asked him, how's ministry going in uh, just with the world the way it is? And he just responded with a video. And I want to share that. Maybe you've seen this. Guy is moving a boat on a trailer with a forklift, which isn't his problem. Uh, The boat is on, the trailer is on wheels. So he gets it stopped, but that's not his problem. He left the forklift in gear which bumps the boat, which keeps it rolling down to the gate where it stops. Fortunately, the boat is okay, except he left the forklift in gear. (laughs) And this is how youth ministry has been going. (laughs) Where I keep thinking, it's going to be okay. And then something else happens, usually because it's my fault. Uh, Today we are looking at choosing to manage my mind. Uh, I have learned a lot about the brain uh, being around teenagers. I've learned a lot about my own brain trying to figure out how the brains of teenagers work. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is one of the verses, the theme for this series. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's what this whole series is about, changing the way you think. God is far more interested in changing my mind than he is in changing my circumstances. We always want God to change our circumstances, and God wants to change your mind. Have you noticed that your mind doesn't always obey you? Yeah. Welcome to the world of a teenager. Uh, in fact, I'm, I want to uh, tell you some things so you can understand the way a teenager brain works. I mean, understanding the brain of a teenager. Saying that sounds like the setup to a joke. Uh, that's just how this works. But I want to share some of the newer findings from the last decade or so about brain development in young people. There have been so many discoveries, and probably the top aha into the medical and scientific community was thanks to the invention of the MRI, the ability to take non-invasive real-time scans of these young people's brains. They discovered this huge surprise truth, and it's this. The brain is not done developing. Before we had the MRI, everyone thought the brain was developed by age six or seven. And it wasn't until this new science that allowed us to see that the brain actually isn't fully developed until the mid to late 20s. 
there are parts of a young person's brain that are significantly underdeveloped, that make them difficult to do certain things, and better at doing other things. And two areas of the teenage brain that are underdeveloped is the prefrontal cortex, and that's right up here behind your forehead. That's where your brain's office is. It's responsible for critical thinking. Uh, animals don't have this. This is why you're not an animal or related to animals. This is why it's dumb to look at animal behavior to excuse human behavior. This is where you have impulse control and wisdom and prioritization. You can do things in order. You can figure stuff out and follow directions. There's decision making. Empathy. Empathy. You can put yourself in someone else's position and feelings. You have feelings. So this is underdeveloped in a teenager. And these things are pretty important, right? Yeah. Uh, those things are difficult for a teenager. So I want to pause right here, and I want to give you a question that I want you to ask yourself. Uh, teenager and adult. Do I see young people as a problem to be solved or as a wonder to behold? If you see young people as a problem to be solved, which is how 90% of our culture sees young people, even most churches view young people as a problem to be solved. If you see young people as a problem to be solved, you hear their prefrontal cortex is underdeveloped, and it's easy to draw a conclusion that, look, they're broken, they're dysfunctional, they're incapable. We should just isolate them and treat them like they are children, which, of course, is counterproductive to their very growth in every way especially to their spiritual growth. But if you embrace a wonder to behold biblical perspective, guys, that is God's view of young people. A wonder to behold view is rooted in the understanding of creation, God creating the universe and man. What was God's dream when he invented this transition period of life? Then you see the underdeveloped areas of the prefrontal cortex as an opportunity that was lovingly created by our wonderful God. Then you start to notice things that because a young person is not really good at risk analysis, they are really good at taking risks, uh, which is critical to their development and their understanding of themselves and the world and everything else. A young person is naturally wired for passion. And that can be a gift to them. A passionate young person is a gift to our ministry. It's a gift to our church. It is a gift to their families if we understand and enjoy it in that way. The other area that is underdeveloped is called the temporal lobe. The temporal lobes are responsible for emotional understanding and interpretation. The temporal lobes are way underdeveloped in teenage girls. They are even more underdeveloped in teenage boys. In fact, in my guy's small group, I have to be the temporal lobe because they have a real hard time understanding the emotion that someone else is expressing. So I help them exercise their temporal lobe, and then they are better able to engage with that emotional understanding in the future. That is why a boy will do and say stupid things to a girl that he likes, okay? He will hit her, he will cut her hair, he will take her phone. Guys, stop it, okay? Girls, I, I am sorry, that, but that is just something that you are going to have to put up with. And, and trust me, it gets better, all right? It, let me give you some hope for the guys. It does get better. 
Two more things I want to point out with the teenage brain. And this is fascinating. It takes me to God's creativity, to God's love for us. The first one is this. Neuron growth and pruning. And that takes place before and after puberty. In a couple of years that lead up to puberty, the brain goes through a growth frenzy. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Your brain has billions of neurons, uh, and it's about the same all the way through your life until about age 70, and then those neurons start to, start to break down. Uh, the other place where there is a difference in your neurons is in the two years before puberty, where there is a spike in millions of additional neuron quantity. Millions of additional neurons grow. And those millions get removed about four years after puberty, somewhere between 11 and 16. And millions of neurons are then cut. Neurons are the information superhighway of the brain. It's how information moves around in your brain. It's how your brain functions. And the fascinating thing is, it is not the same neurons that are added that are cut. The ones that are eliminated are the ones that are not used during the young and middle teen years. The neuron connections that get highly used, they get to stay in play for the rest of your life. So the brain, this, this is neurological expert language here, okay? Uh, they say our brains are hardwired, hardwired for how they will function for the rest of our young and middle teen years. Uh, this brings up the huge question for our student ministry. Uh, there are many forces that shape a young person's brain for their life. We want to be one of those forces that God uses to develop their, the brain of a young person. So how are we using that opportunity to shape and hardwire these brains for a lifetime of exciting faith? I want you to write this down. I need to learn how to manage my mind because my thoughts control my life. Because my thoughts control my life. Uh, if you have good thoughts, you're going to have a good life. If you have bad thoughts, you're going to have a bad life. If you have sick thoughts, you're going to have a sick life. If you have sinful thoughts, you're going to have a sinful life. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. We control what we eat. We control what we believe. We control what we drink. But we don't always control what we allow into our mind. And the Bible tells us that every action in your life starts with a thought. If you don't think it, it doesn't happen. If you think good things, then good things are going to happen, and you're going to do good things. But if you have bad thoughts, then you're going to tend to act in bad ways. Your mind controls and shapes our life. Second reason that you need to learn to manage your mind is because my mind is the battleground for sin. Because my mind is the battleground for sin. It's where every temptation happens. It's where every sin actually starts. The sin of pride starts in the mind. The sin of lust starts in the mind. Sin of hatred starts in the mind. Fear starts in the mind. Resentment, jealousy, envy, they all start in the mind. Worry, being stressed out, that's all in the mind. The battlefield for sin is fought not around you, it's fought in your mind. Romans 7, 22 through 23. Paul is talking about this battle that is constantly going on in our minds. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. But there is something else deep within me that is at war with my mind. And it wins the fight and it makes me a slave to the sin within me. 
Paul says, in my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead, I find myself still enslaved to sin because those neurons are hardwired. There's a fight going on because my mind wants to do something naturally. You know, it's the habits, the hurts, the hang-ups that mess up our lives. Satan knows that whatever gets your attention gets you. So he starts in the mind. It's not with your behavior. It's not even with your emotions. He starts with your thoughts. Get those neurons connected. Get those neurons connected. Now, there's a third reason why you have to learn to manage your mind, and it's because it's the key to peace. Because it is the key to peace and happiness. That's the key to life right there. The key to peace and happiness. An unmanaged mind leads to tension, but a managed mind leads to tranquility. An unmanaged mind leads to pressure. A managed mind leads to peace. An unmanaged mind leads to stress, but a managed mind leads to strength and serenity. An unmanaged mind leads to conflict in your life, leads to chaos in your life. But a managed mind leads to confidence. Romans 8.6 If your sinful nature controls your mind, there's death. In other words, that's a dead end. You're going to die. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, then there is life and peace. This is why we're doing this whole series on managing your mind. How to rethink every area of your life. If we focus our attempts at student ministry to get students to just repeat back correct answers, then all we are doing is hardwiring their brains to repeat back correct answers, which might be nice for a professor, but that does not really make exciting faith. How can we use this time during these amazing years in helping young people wrestle with deeper questions? How can we get young people to ask really good questions? How can we help young people to uh, express, to be honest about their doubts and then replace those doubts with, with truth? Replace the truth with, uh, replace the doubts with better truth. How can we develop a spirit of serving others and noticing other people's needs? I want to show you something that is so beautiful. I have really been pumped since I learned about this. Neuroscience is discovering things that Christians have been saying all along. Neuroscience is catching up to what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. Science is finding answers that we already believe about God and what God wants us to do. Uh, so I want you to hold your hand in front of you, take your thumb, pull it in, and then wrap your fingers over your thumb. Okay, This is a, like a model brain, all right? So, uh, you've made a little brain model here, and, and right in this front part, this is your prefrontal cortex, okay? This is the office of your brain, the rational thinking. This is a place where logic and rational thought take place. Now, lift up your fingers, and, and right down here, right this little, there's a little almond-shaped gland. This would be your thumb knuckle, okay? Your th this is the amygdala. And the amygdala is the fear center of your brain. And this little almond-shaped gland will actually override this whole big prefrontal cortex and then make you, you respond in fear. Just that little almond shape will take control of your brain. And which isn't a bad thing because this is why you go to a haunted house. That little gland, you, know, you pay your money... You know, I am here to get scared. 
Uh, You know, logically, rationally, there is nothing in here that is going to hurt me. (laughs) But when that guy runs at you with the fake chainsaw, (laughs) you get all freaked out because that amygdala is overriding (laughs) the logical and rational thought of your prefrontal cortex. So, all right, get your, get your brains out. All right, now I want you to lift your fingers a little bit. And the underside there, on the underside of your fingers, there's a blanket. There's a blanket that separates that amygdala from the prefrontal cortex. That, uh, that's the anterior cingulate. And the anterior cingulate, it actually acts as a buffer between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. So it's kind of like a teeter-totter. Okay? And that anterior sing- cingulate will regulate how much you allow that fear to override the thought process or how much you let that thought process override your fear, which is why it's no fun to go to a haunted house with someone who, has, you know, who walks through and knows, has done all the rational thinking like, yeah, I'm not going to be scared. And they're not, that's not fun. You know, they've, their, their prefrontal cortex is overriding their amygdala. Okay, Uh, but it's kind of like a teeter-totter, okay? So if you strengthen that anterior cingulate, you can actually balance your brain. You can balance your mind. And and here's where it gets amazing. Uh, Which part of those three is ever dominant in your brain for you? That will have a huge impact in your faith, because if you have a highly developed amygdala where it's just weighted down, it, it, you know, the teeter-totter is down on that side because it's heavy. If you're heavy, you have a fear-based faith. If you have a highly developed prefrontal cortex where that's real heavy, you have a rational faith, really rational. In fact, you think through and how, why God does what he does and facts and dates and history and science. But if you have a highly developed uh, anterior cingulate. That allows you to exper- understand and experience God as compassionate, personal, and other than yourself. So how do we develop that part of your brain that helps you experience God in a whole new, wonderful way? How do we develop that part? And neurology has recently caught up to what the Bible has been telling us all along. You develop this part, that, in, that blanket part, by doing three things. Prayer, meditation, which is thinking about Scripture, and spiritual singing. If you pray, think about Scripture, and sing spiritual songs, that develops that anterior cingulate. That makes you a much stronger Christian. That's why doing those things eases your fears and, uh, and helps you from doing dumb things that you're trying to take control of the situation. That's why that works. That's what the, the Bible has been telling us for years and years and years and years. So I want you to write this down because there are dominant ways that we develop that anterior cingulate. First is this. I must feed my mind on truth. Thousands of years ago, Matthew wrote down in his gospel, people need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. 
This is soul food. It's brain food. This is the owner's manual for life. This is the truth that sets you free and balances your mind. I've got to feed my mind on truth, which means I've got to feed my mind on the Bible. How often should you do it? All the time. Psalm chapter 119, verse 147 says this. I rise early to cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I love that word hope. Uh, Do you know that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible? Uh, If you need hope, if you are feeling hopeless, that means you're not spending enough time in the Bible. Because if you get these promises into your life, you're going to be a hopeful person. Uh, Same chapter in Psalm 119, uh, a little bit earlier, verse 97. Lord, how I love your word, I think about it all day long. That, that is feeding my mind on truth all day long. Psalm 16, verse 7 says this. Even in the darkest of night, your teachings fill my mind. Now let me show you how serious this is. How serious David was about being in the word and, and having that truth set him free. This was a time when David had so many enemies. He was actually a fugitive. He was on the run. He was running for his life. Okay? His amygdala is going crazy. And he's hiding in caves. And he, you know, he's got rational thought going crazy as well. You know, he is trying to stay alive. And he is in fear. And how is David balancing his mind? How is he helping his mind? Uh, how is he balancing his mind with the truth of God? Psalm 119 Verse 95. It's one of the Psalms that David wrote during this time. And he says this. Even when wicked people hide to ambush and kill me, I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. When you look at all the things that are in the world, it is easy to get discouraged. When you look at young people on the news uh, and where the media is pointing their cameras, it's easy to get discouraged. You get on social media, you listen to the news, you watch TV, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to feel hopeless. But I quietly keep my mind on your word. If you're going to strengthen that anterior cingulate, I need to feed and balance my mind with truth. And number two, I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. Your mind has to be liberated. Your mind has to be delivered. You have good intentions to fill your mind with truth on a daily basis. I want to live the way God wants me to live. I want to know God better. I want to fill my mind with truth. But none of that ground is given up easily. Satan is going to fight you on it. And he's going to battle you. And you're going to have to fight to free your mind. Why? Because there are three enemies. This is the unholy trinity. Okay? And the first enemy of the unholy trinity, number one, is my old nature. The first enemy of my mind is my old nature. In other words, you have an old way that your brain works. Your brain wants to work a certain way because you've got those neurons in there. You've got, you are hardwired for a certain way. Romans 7.23 says this, I see in my body a principle at war with the law of my mind, taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells inside me. In other words, I am held hostage to the way my brain is wired. I'm held hostage to my thoughts. Have you ever felt like that? Like, you know, I can't get this thought out of my mind. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to refocus my thoughts. And you're praying and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about it again. I can't get it out. You know, how, you know, 
How often do you find yourself doing something you don't want to do? Yeah, that's what this verse is saying. Your old nature is not your friend. It's the source of all your bad habits. It's the source of your self-defeating habits that tend to take you down. This is so freeing. I do not have to believe everything I think. That is so nice. Uh, because my mind lies to me all the time. You know, just because you think something doesn't make it true. Just because you feel something doesn't make it true. Your mind and your emotions lie to you often. And part of growing up is learning to know the difference between what my mind is thinking and what is actually true. You know, is what I'm thinking really true? You need to learn to ask that question. You, uh, nobody likes me. Is that really true? You know, I am never going to get any better. Is that really true? My life is worthless. Is that really true? You need to ask those questions, is that really true? Over and over again in your life. Romans 8.5 says this, those who are dominated by their old sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So the first enemy in this Holy Trinity, that's my old nature. The second enemy is around, that's around me is Satan. The second enemy of my mind is Satan. If you have Christ in your life, then you have a power that, that is far greater than Satan. Okay? If you have Christ in your life, Satan can't force you to do anything. Uh, the only way he can get you to do something that he can influence you is through the power of suggestion. He just has to put a thought into your mind, and then you decide whether you're going to do it or not. So he puts this suggestion in your mind, and we call that a temptation. And when you don't learn to balance your mind, when you don't know how to manage your mind, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 11, Paul talks about a guy who has sinned in the church. And he says, I've forgiven that man. I didn't hold on to a grudge. Why? So that Satan won't outsmart us. For we're very familiar with his evil schemes. Did you know that any time that you refuse to forgive anybody, that, that's a trap of Satan. God is not the one who wants you to hold on to hurt. Satan wants you to hold on to hurt. He wants you to hold on to a grudge. He wants you to be unforgiving. Anytime I won't forgive somebody, or I've given into a thought or a suggestion that Satan has given me. So I've got the self, I've got the old nature within me that I'm fighting, then I've got Satan against me, and then the third enemy in this unholy trinity is the world's values. The third enemy of my mind, the world's values. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. All that's in the world... And then he, then he lists what's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not the Father, but of this world. The world is so crazy, all right? The world is nuts because it wasn't just a few short years ago that the world was all lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I mean, give in to passion. Give in to possessions. Give in to position. You know, it's about you. Better yourself. Do what you want to do. You know, give in to sex. Give in to salary. Give in to status. Give in to yourself. Start living for yourself. Okay, now the world demands perfection. 
And they will go through every social media post you had, every article that was ever written about you, every photograph, looking for a place where you gave in to something that you wanted to do, and then the world will shut you down for it because they demand perfection. The, the world is insane. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Okay, the weapons of this world today are primarily political. We don't use those weapons. The Bible says our weapons have divine power. And what, what do they have divine power to do? To demolish strongholds. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, because we are in a wrestling match with our thoughts. And we got, we got to pin it down. We got to pin this down. It is a mental battle. Now it says that in your mind we have what are called strongholds. And what's a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that I believe. A stronghold is a lie that I believe and I'm acting on the basis of that. You see that out there? You see that in there? A stronghold is a lie that I believe and I'm acting on the basis of that. And anytime I believe a lie, all the lies, they all come from the devil. Satan is the father of all lies. Anytime I believe a lie about God, that's a stronghold. Anytime I believe a lie about myself, that's a stronghold. Anytime I believe a lie about the world or about the future or the past or the present, that's a stronghold. Anytime I believe a lie about money or I believe a lie about sex, that becomes a stronghold in my life. Uh, it can even be a false value. A stronghold can be a personal attitude. I've met people whose stronghold in their brain was worry. I've met people whose stronghold in their brain was depression. I've met people whose stronghold was resentment or envy or pride or self-conceit or ego. And if I'm going to balance my mind, if I'm going to strengthen that anterior cingulate, first, I have to feed my mind with truth over and over. Second, I have to free my mind from destructive thoughts. And third, uh, I must not only feed and free, I must focus. I must focus my mind on the right things. That's how you get freedom. Now, I want to give you three simple steps to, for you to, to get started on this today, on how to balance your mind by strengthening that anterior cingulate. First is this, think about Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.8 says, keep your mind on Jesus Christ. Keep your mind on on Jesus Christ. Thousands of years ago, this is written. The, the, the Bible seems to know how your brain works because I guess it was created by the wonderful God. Hebrews 12, 3 says, think about Jesus's example. He held on while wicked people were doing evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. What gives you power to keep on going when you feel like giving up? Think about Jesus. Keep your mind on Jesus. Number two, think about others. Think about others. Do you realize what a radical statement that is? You know, to say the phrase, it's not about you, think about others. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 4 says this, Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, and in what they are doing. What do other people need in this situation? 
get your mind working like that. Stop and intentionally think about Jesus. Intentionally think about others. Use the temporal lobes of your brain. You know, understanding the emotion that, that is happening there. Being able to interpret a situation. That would transform your life. That would, if young people would, would use those temporal lobes, learn how to do that, that would be amazing in this world. You know, the teens who grow up in church and learn how to balance their mind shine like no other in this world. Oh, yeah, that is awesome. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us think about each other and let us help each other to show love and good deeds. Anybody who starts thinking about other people is going to shine in this world because most of the world isn't thinking about other people. They're thinking about themselves. Think about Jesus. Think about others. And number three, this will radically change your life. Think about eternity. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. Heavenly-minded people have always done the most good in this world for thousands and thousands of years. So think about heaven. Think about eternity. The last verse, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So those spiritual songs coming out of your mouth, that strengthens your anterior cigarette. That balances your mind. You know, reading scripture, thinking about scripture, praying, that balances your mind. And Pastor Ryland comes out here week after week and he keeps talking about prayer and meditation, thinking about scripture and singing songs. He keeps talking about prayer and thinking about scripture and singing songs. Why does he do this every week? Talk about the same things. Is it because he's crazy? Is it because Pastor Ryland likes to pray and you know, think about scripture and sing spiritual songs? No. Pastor Ryland is telling you what is written in the Bible. He has made it a priority to help young people develop a practice of daily prayer, meditation, spiritual singing, so they can experience God as personal, compassionate, and other than yourself. So I want to remind you of that important question I asked earlier. Do I see young people as a problem to be solved or as a wonder to behold? Can you see from the stuff that we talked about that God sees people, God sees young people lovingly, perfectly as a wonder to behold? Yes, annoying at times, but a wonder to behold. Would you pray with me? Father, you gave us our minds. We are made in your image. That is the greatest gift that you've given us, the gift of intellect. We realize that because our minds are our greatest asset, it's also our greatest battleground. We realize a lot of times there is a battle going on and we don't even realize it's happening. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are all against us. So we need your help, God. Now I'm going to ask you to pray. Why don't you just say a simple prayer like this? Just say, God, help me to put into practice what I have just heard. Say, God, help me to do what you've called me to do to make these choices on a daily basis. I want to feed my mind with truth. I want to free my mind from destructive thoughts. I want to focus my mind on the right things. God, today I'm going to make up my mind to obey your word, to believe your truth, no matter what, 
Help me to think about Jesus. Help me to think about others. Help me to think about eternity so that my life may be truly transformed. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.